Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pagans Tonight Radio Network, the voice of the pagan world. Pagans Tonight is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anytime, anywhere magical education. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast. Whenever you are, wherever you are, my name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to this very first and only bilingual show for uh, Pagans Tonight Radio Network. This is Lunatic Monday, so Lunes Lunaticos. Every other week this show is in English, and every other week this show is on Spanish. And we have found a very cool phenomenon that people who get confused it's okay if you get confused because people are learning Spanish and people are learning English just by listening to the show. So we're very excited and happy about that. And also, I want to apologize because I have a head cold and my voice is really, and the Fritz, my voice is not what it used to be. So I will probably uh, not be talking too much tonight. I will let Sharon do all the talk. Ha, ha, ha. She's probably not going to be happy about that. No, I'm just kidding. Um let me introduce you to our guest tonight. I'm very, very honored. I'm very happy to have this guest tonight. Uh, we invited her back in May, and she said yes, and we are very happy and honored to have her tonight. So let me tell you a little bit about her, reading her biography. Circle Sanctuary Minister Sharon Stewart has a passion of caring for the dead in our communities and families. She's a certified death midwife, a longtime hospice volunteer, a trainer and certified volunteer for the NODA, No One Dies Alone program, a bereavement volunteer and an end-of-life educator and a green burial educator. Sharon teaches dead midwife classes and family-directed home funeral classes at her home, Spirit No, in Wisconsin. Through her work, education, and outreach, she has found so much joy working with families and communities dealing with death. It is her privilege to support and empower families to reclaim their legal rights to provide home-based death care should they choose to do so. Her website is www.spiritnull.com, and they also have a Facebook page that you can find by typing Spirit Null uh, on the Facebook um, um, navigation uh, thingy, <laughs> navigation window. And I'm also very honored and very happy because I also can call her my friend. Uh, so, Sharon, how are you tonight? I'm so good. I'm sorry you're not feeling well. You know, it's it's been a crazy weather change in Chicago. And we had family from St. Louis visiting uh, over the weekend. And we went to a game. And it was about 30 degrees change on one day. And, of course, that affected me greatly. I'm, I'm from the tropic, you know. I'm from Mexico. So <laughs> we're not made for this weather. And it's, it's nothing but a head cold, but it's, it, I have very bad sinuses. And that's what's happening. But, hey, I'll, I'll live. There are way more uh, 
dire situations in the world and my cold. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. I'm I'm real happy that you invited me to do this show and hopefully we can answer a lot of questions and get more people comfortable talking about death. It is um it is a touchy subject to say the least, you know, most people um I've learned a lot since I met you and I I used to believe that my passion was uh to be a dead midwife and by the workshops that I've taken from you, your classes, actually what I've learned is what I would like to do is be a bereavement uh, volunteer and not a dead midwife uh, person. But it is quite different, isn't it? <laughs> and for people who don't know any of it, you, you're here to uh, clarify all these questions and to teach us and to help us understand that being part of of a death is just as joyful as being part of a birth. But before we go hands-on into all this uh, dead midwife uh, mysteries, I like to ask you how how did you find your path in paganism? I know you've been with Circle Sanctuary for a number of years. We all love you dearly and respect you even more. Uh, you're part of big big part. Uh, organization of uh, PSG and all that. But I've never asked you this before, and I would like to ask you, how did you get involved with Circle? How do you get involved with paganism? Well, I I knew at a young age that I was had different beliefs than most people did, certainly um, in the small town in Iowa that I grew up in. And um, I always honored and respected nature and always just felt so comfortable in nature and was just drawn there all the time. And so I kind of started my own practices. I, back then, had no idea the word pagan even existed. And so when I moved up into Wisconsin, um, I was raised Christian, turned Catholic, uh, not very devout in either of them, because I really believed um, I was just following my own heart, my own path. Um, then in the late 90s, I uh, found out about Circle Sanctuary, and they had a uh, letter, I guess I'd say, a post on their Facebook, on their website entitled I Am Pagan. And I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, I have a title. That's, so much of that is me. And I met my husband who already was a member of Circle Sanctuary and I started going to Circle Sanctuary in, I believe it was 1999. And I've been heavily involved out there um, since. I am very involved in um, coordinating events and as you mentioned, I manage the Pagan Spirit Gathering, uh, which is one of the largest pagan gatherings in the United States. And I've been doing that for, I think it's getting close to 15 years. I'm not quite sure. And I'm very involved out there. And I have I was ordained as a circle minister um, a year and a half ago. So that's how I kind of stumbled across the path. I guess I never had a name of what I always practiced. Mm-hmm. 
And what I encounter with a lot of people is that, you know, that we are doing our thing and we didn't know it had a name. And then when we start reading about paganism, it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I do. (laughs) That's exactly what happened to me. (laughs) Exactly. And And, um, I just felt at home. I, I just felt like I finally found my people. Well, we're very grateful that you found us, your people, and we know that it's uh, monumental work that you do for uh, organizing PSG every year, and uh, we will definitely love to invite you closer to PSG again so you can talk about your anecdotes and uh, the challenges and the joy and the rewards of organizing PSG. Uh, but tonight, we we like to concentrate on uh, the path of a deaf midwife and how or when did you encounter that you have this passion to help people? Uh, in Spanish, we say to die well, you know. I don't know if it's the same concept or not, but we call it, you know, to, to die well. Um, how do you encounter yourself so passionate about this? And, and when in your life this happened? Well, again, that was kind of a thing that grew on me back um, when I was, like 19 years old, my brother got killed in a car accident. And he was away at college, and I just felt that I needed to see his body as it was before the funeral home got their hands on it, and it was embalmed and cleaned up and ready for presentation. And I wasn't allowed to do that. The funeral director would not let me do that, and finally gave me his bag of clothes that he was wearing when he was in the traffic accident so to me that I felt maybe I could tell if he suffered or not but that started me on there just has to be a better way for us to take care of our loved ones when they die I felt very put off I guess would be the word that I wasn't allowed to see my brother you know I didn't feel the funeral home owned him I should have had that right So that kind of tweaked my interest right then, back when I was young, 19 or so. Then after we moved to Wisconsin, I became a law enforcement officer. So I started working in jail and eventually got my certification and was a a road deputy and eventually a detective. So I've seen death in many forms. And I've seen how people are almost a afraid to talk about or deal with the dead and the dying and the family. And I just thought there had to be a better way for us to handle all this. And so I really started reading a lot of books. I started doing things on looking things up online and finding all of these uh, groups that were already doing like home funerals and death midwifery and everything and and I knew that that probably sounded like something I liked so what I decided to do was get involved with hospice so probably about 10 years ago I got volunteered with hospice my local hospice and became very and I still am very involved in volunteering for that hospice And during this time, I ran into, I had the privilege of running into Nora Cedarwin Young from Washington State, 
who was teaching, who is a certified deaf midwife, and she was doing a lot of teaching classes at PSG and other places and started taking all of her classes. And I had gone to a three-day intensive that she had put on, and listening to her passion about this, I just knew that that was the path I needed to take, that this was even an extension beyond hospice where I could help the dying to die well, using your terms, because I love that, but helping the dying to die well and helping their families to be able to help their loved one have that beautiful death. So I told Nora Cedarwind I was going to keep studying and practicing with hospice, and in three years I was going to be a deaf midwife. And a couple years later, um, Earth Traditions from Chicago um, invited Nora Cedarwind Young to come, and they had an intensive where uh, quite a few of us, I think there was about a dozen if I remember right, we were there to take Nora's first certification class. And so I was a graduate in 2012 of Nora's. Then I have uh, worked my tail off building my knowledge and skills um, with my deaf midwife practice and still keeping my volunteering with hospice. So that's how I came to find the passion. Long Um, story. The first thing I... (laughs) No, please. That's that's. You have three hours, honey. Don't worry about the time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, first of all, I want to say I'm so sorry about your brother's loss. I didn't know that. Um, and what do you think? It is such a taboo that we are so disconnected from seeing our loved ones uh, pre- being prepared for dying or or dying or death. Why do we have such huge separation from that process? I don't think people see it as part of the natural process of life. Um, you know, we celebrate births, we celebrate first communions, we celebrate holidays, we celebrate weddings, but we don't take time to make our end-of-life plans. Most people spend more time choosing to buy a new car than they do in talking about making their end-of-life plans. I don't know. I, I wish I knew why people were so uncomfortable. I think it's um, – I always tell people you're not going to die talking about death. I don't know if people think they're bringing it into their home if they start talking about it or what. I wish I had a good answer for that. Um, but I just don't think that people see it as – part of the process of life. We're all going to die and we all need to make plans for that. That's why, you know, for my work as a death midwife, I go around and do a lot of speaking and a lot of educating about end-of-life plans so that we can get people talking. Um, I have some card games that I use and uh, have death cafes and things like that. Those people can get started talking about death and not be so uncomfortable. When uh, when a death is sudden, you know, like like we have, uh, unfortunately, the the situations that have been happening in the world with all these hurricanes and earthquakes, and then what happened last night in Vegas, awful. Um, it's a sudden death, and you're not prepared, and that's quite different, right, from when a person is like on hospice care or they're like it's a natural death. Um, 
when you help families, do you help all kinds of deaths, also sudden deaths, or or it's only like in the hospice type of death? I don't even know how to ask that question. Well, I, I don't know if it was clear. I, I'm sorry. The easiest way I would explain it is an expected death versus an unexpected death. Um, you know, an expected death would be somebody who has had a terminal diagnosis and perhaps has been in hospice or something like that. You know, that that's a time when you have, generally, you have a lot more time to get together with the one that's, you know, the one, the person who is dying and their families and make these kind of plans. But when you have tragedies, a car accident, a heart attack, uh, the, the situations we've been having in the world, you know, you don't have the time to make those plans. And so, Yes, a deaf midwife does get called in on those situations, and and obviously it's a little more hectic, take a little bit more skill, um, and you have to make a lot quicker decisions. So that's one of the things, like I said, a deaf midwife can do, and I spend a lot of time doing, is helping people get those plans set up ahead of time, get talking amongst their families of what their wishes are, what they want, and what they don't want. So whether you would have an expected death or you would have an unexpected death, your plans are already in place. So that's a huge part of death midwifery to help people get that stuff in place. But we certainly can help when it's a tragic accident that, you know, takes a 17-year-old or a 20-year-old who's never thought about dying and we all of a sudden have to move into place to plan that end of life, um, make those end of life plans. And I just want to uh, reiterate to people who are in the chat room or people who are calling, uh, if you all have questions for Sharon, please send them to me privately, and I can read them to her. I don't think she's in the chat room, um, so I can read your questions to her. And Sharon, this is probably a, a question that is on a lot of people's minds. I know it's on my mind. I uh, quite often joke around, ha, 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 it's not a joke. Uh, I talk about, you know, if I die, I want to be incinerated and my ashes need to go to a number of places. I tell people, you know, you, you need to be willing to be arrested because I want some of my ashes on the pyramids in Mexico and I want some of my ashes on the ocean. And then, of course, I will probably want some of my ashes at uh, Circle Cemetery. Um, but I, but this is something I just tell people. And, of course, I tell them the funeral, you need to play solar stereo music the whole night. And if, you, if you're not playing my music, then there's going to be trouble. But this is something that we just say. We don't actually have it in writing. And does that... Is, is it enough to tell your loved ones what you want, or do you have to, like, have something in writing? I would highly suggest that you have something in writing for numerous reasons. Um, first of all, depending on who you've told, is that person going to outlive you? Or if it's a situation, especially when it's a husband and wife that are talking that back and forth, there's a big percentage that you and your husband could both you know, be in a car accident, both of your lives be taken. So everything needs to get into writing. I highly suggest, and as I was trained, that there's six essential documents that everybody should have. And those six essential documents are a will, care director, directive, 
also people call it a living will. You know, this is what I want done. This is what I don't want done. A durable power of attorney for health. That's the person who's going to make decisions for you. Should you be um, need to be unplugged from a machine? Have you talked that over? You've written this down. That person has that authority to make those decisions. A durable power of attorney for your finances. A disposition of your body. That's just where do you want to go? Like, um, Laura, you were just saying, I want my ashes in three places. That's where you would put down. I want my ashes here, here, here. And then the other thing is everyone should have a, a HIPAA form signed at their doctor's office, their hospital's office, so that these people that you've named in these durable powers of attorney have permission to communicate with the doctor. So I suggest everybody has those six essential documents. Most of these documents you can get on your state's um, Department of Health and Social Services website. Attorneys have them. I know in my area a lot of the hospitals offer workshops once a month where you can go in and get these forms done and notarized right there in a couple-hour time span. So, But these are documents that everybody should have in place so that your final wishes are known so that people can carry out what your wishes are, how they, they can take care of you, how you want to be taken care of at end of life. They can carry out your funeral arrangements. And this makes it point blank, clear, um, point blank clear if you have it all written down. What happens when a person, I mean, in the worst case scenario, don't have any of this beforehand and... Uh, is there something that you actually talk to the person who is dying? Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm even asking these questions, you know, we are so, and I like to use the word by its real meaning, mm -hmm. ignorance. We really are so ignorant about this type of things. And I don't know if, say, a person that is in a hospice, uh, is it okay? Is it correct to go to them and ask, hey, what do you want us to do when you die? Yeah, and... You know, a lot of that, hospice does an intake form with people. And, you know, and, and hospice does have, you know, things like, you know, do not resuscitate. And hospice will gather what information that, you know, what funeral home you're using or are you doing a home funeral or, you know, so they need to know the disposition of the body. So once, you know, death is pronounced, they know what they, what calls they need to make. For the body, but absolutely the person who is dying has a say-so in, you know, it's their say-so on what's going to happen and who's going to do it and what's going to be done. Of course, sometimes there is, you know, situations where the person isn't able. They may be in a coma or whatever the situation may be, have injuries that they can't be, be intubated or whatever the situation may be. And what I find in those situations is the family does the best they can to carry out wishes they, you know, as they think the loved one would want. And if the loved one would pass, then traditionally what they do is have some sort of a funeral just like everybody else in their family has done. may not be what uh, the dying wanted, but that's all they know. So they carry out you know, what's been done in the past with their family. So if you want something specific, having it down in writing is really important. I can say from a personal note, um, as my mom was um, 
getting towards her end of life, my mom had always told me that she never wanted to be put on a machine, and she had some specific things about her funeral. And I didn't realize she hadn't told all of my brothers and sisters that. So when we were getting together to talk about my mother, and I said this, some of them were very surprised. So we actually sat down with my mom and had a family meeting and heard so all of the siblings could hear what my mom's wishes were. And then we did this paperwork. And then um, all of us had the paperwork to carry with us. And it was filed, of course, at her doctor and at the hospital. So all of us were on the same page of what her final wishes were, which then made for a good death. She had a very easy death, and we all knew what we wanted, what she wanted done, and we had it all prepared and ready to carry out, so it made it so much less stressful for us during a really difficult time. So getting it down in writing is super, super important. And I think in a moment of um, obviously high emotions and high stress, to have that documentation, you know, it, it should help you. As cold as it might sound, um, these are the steps that the person wanted. These are their desires and their wishes. And that way we don't have to think about it. We just follow the person's instructions. It is, um, like I say, you know, even talking about it, uh, for someone like me or, or like maybe the general public that is not, that are not familiar with um, these processes, it is a little... I don't know, it makes you a little nervous, you know, because we don't think about that like we think as a birth or as a rite of passage on any other aspect of life. Uh, we're very honored to have you, Sharon, kicking off October. Of course, all our uh, shows in October are going to be death-related as we uh, gear up towards Samhain and, and this time some celebrations. But um, when you have a person who is, uh, absolutely healthy and then have a sudden death uh, obviously the processes are different have you ever been part of one of those processes and how different it is from someone who has everything in writing yeah I have been a part of that process and it it you know it's really the same process but it's done with faster and it's done with so much more higher emotion um, Usually, if you have that unexpected type death, the bereaved are in shock, and they're still trying to just deal with their shock, uh, you know, and trying to get them to make funeral plans and, you know, figure out if they're going to have a visitation, are they going to have a meal, or what kind of, what casket do you want, do you want a green burial, who's going to do this, who's going to do that, it stretches them to the limit. And the bereaved are just often just going on automatic co-pilot. So the services of a deaf midwife come in really well there because we can go in and be a calm in that storm, so to speak, and we can help people walk through that process, you know, that hasn't been thought out and now is forced upon them, and we can help get them through that process accurately and um, give them a, a list of, you know, different choices that they can choose what they think their loved one would have want and, and help them make those things happen. So, yeah, I do get called in, um, and it's much more hectic, but it's very doable. 
All right. Um, I want us to go into talking about caring, actually physically caring for the person to help them uh, die well. And I know when I took your class back in uh, 2016, I think, at Circle Sanctuary, you talk a lot about how to communicate with the person who is on their deathbed and how a lot of the times we dismiss them as if they were already gone. Uh, I remember clearly when you were talking about music and, and loud sounds and, and people discussing and all that around them. And I really, really want to go in depth into that. But before we go there into that, I'm going to uh, play some music and make, make a little bit of uh, announcements for this uh, season for Lunatic Mondays. So, Sharon, I'm going to ask you to stay put for a couple of minutes. And when we come back, we go uh, in depth into that. Is that okay? Oh, that sounds great. Thanks. Thank you. So, um, as you all know, we all are very aware we are living very challenging times. And we've been dealing with a lot of death and a lot of tragedy and a lot of people who have uh, gone into the other side of the bill. And this is a song that we played on Friday when we were honoring the memory of Raymond Buckland. And it seems like we have a lot of people to honor, not only Buckland, but those who have passed in Vegas, those who have passed by the uh, hurricanes and the earthquakes and all of these uh, situations that have been happening in the world. So with all my love and respect to all the families who are survivors of these people who have passed, this is uh, a little tribute made into song by Bell Book and Cancel. And it's called Health to the Company. We'll be back with more here on Lunatic Mondays.
listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. And we're, pa- we're back here live on Lunatic Mondays, Lunas Lunaticos. And we have a little bit of uh, a couple of announcements to make. Uh, I keep trying to change the wording of this announcement, and then things keep happening. So um, I will read as I wrote it a couple of weeks ago. Let's honor those who have gone before us. This is this year's Dia de Muertos is taking an international global importance. I will send my love to all those who have lost loved ones in recent events. Please join us for this workshop. Here's the commercial part of it. Uh, I will be doing a workshop on September 7th at Theater Wit here in Chicago, in Belmont, actually. And it's presented by Podcast Pastry. And tickets are only $12. $12 to get your ticket, and you can hear my presentation of Day of the Dead, Origins and Traditions. And there are going to be refreshments offered by uh, Podcast Pastry, obviously, who is our sponsor. And as I say, tickets are only 12 bucks. That is going to be on October 7th at noon in Belmont Theater West Chicago in Belmont. Uh, for those who would like to attend, please do so. Purchase your tickets as soon as possible. The theater venue, for what I heard, it's a little bit small and tickets are going fast. Um, the other announcement that I wanted to, to say, and I know we have Unfortunately, a lot of circumstances happening in the world, a lot of tragedies, a lot of uh, natural disasters. Our Earth is really uncomfortable. She's trying to cool herself up. She's doing all these movements and shakings and stuff. And uh, we launched a campaign to help relieve efforts in Mexico City. We have a direct connection with a Mexican group that is called the Cofradia Huica Luna Azul or the Blue Moon uh, Wicca Brotherhood. And together with the Goddess Fraternity and the Blue Moon Wicca Brotherhood, we are collecting money. We are, yes, collecting money to help relieve efforts where uh, these people are directly purchasing goods and giving them to the people on the streets, people who need whatever they need, they're giving it there. And we're taking your donations, if you will, if you trust us, if you... Uh, believe that we can <laughs> help. We are taking your donations directly at espialmorado.com. That is E-S-P-I-R-A-L-M-O-R-A-D-O, espiralmorado at hotmail.com. The money goes directly to people in Mexico City. If you cannot donate to that, you can donate to Topos de Mexico or you can donate to the Red Cross in Mexico. I know people are already donating and trying to help elsewhere in the world. I'm just, uh, we still want to keep our campaign going for a little bit. We have received a few donations and that has helped greatly people in Mexico City. And I know um, it's like there is no shortage of where our help is needed. But if you have it in your heart and you trust uh, both the Goddess Fraternity and the Blue Moon Wake Up Brotherhood, we are directly helping people. This is totally grassroots. It's not a uh, government-directed um, effort because, unfortunately, we cannot trust our government. <laughs> We've seen that kind of repeating again and again with all these disasters, not only in Mexico but elsewhere. 
but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about Lunatic Mondays. Uh, for those who speak English, Lunatic Mondays will have a divination night with tarot and oracles and runes on, on October 16th. That's going to be in English. October 16th, uh, divination and tarot night here on Lunatic Mondays. And on October 30th, we will, we will have Chris Allen talking about his underworld books, A Journey into the Underworld. And this is going to be a great show. For those who speak Spanish, on October 9th, we have Monica Salas talking about sexual, uh, sacred sexuality and goddess. And also on the 23rd of October, we will have a divination and tarot night, this time in Spanish, with uh, Bruja Neus doing room readings, Carolina Moore doing tarot readings, and yours truly doing also tarot readings. So those are uh, all of the announcements that we have for today. Obviously, if you want to see me tomorrow, tomorrow I will be like every Tuesday at Nightcap Coffee Bar doing readings from noon and until 6 p.m. And I think that's all about the announcements. All of it will be on the Lunatic Mondays page, Lunes Lunaticos, where we also have all of the future shows. And we also have all of the archive shows um, for you to listen or download later. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome back uh, Sharon. Sharon, are you there? I sure am. So I was... Um, I was commenting earlier of when I took your class back in uh, Circle, how I was impressed and greatly to have the knowledge on how the dead midwife helps the person who is actually dying. How, how do you take care of them and uh, of their needs as they are preparing to pass on and how important it is that we listen to them and that we care for them uh, it was for me, I was in awe of how an amazing job it has to be to be so compassionate and so patient and so loving of these people, even sometimes because their loved ones don't know how to go about that. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that the dead midwife does in taking care of the person, actually? Yeah, you know, a death midwife is, first of all, there to assist the family through this process. You know, can we go in there and, you know, like a birth midwife may, and I may be speaking out of turn here, but a, a birth midwife goes in and, you know, and really is there helping with the birth and, and directing there and, you know, being right there catching the baby. What we as a deaf midwife like to do is go in and empower the family to feel comfortable to be that person that's there for their loved one and carrying out the wishes and taking care of the physical body and taking care of all the needs and wants of that dying person so that the family is more involved in the end-of-life process and, and feels more comfortable with it. So a lot of what I do, if I have time to spend with a family, you know, unfortunately, in hospice or when I get calls for a death midwife service, you a lot of times don't get the call until there isn't much time left. So if you're lucky enough to be involved with a family, um, when you have enough time, it's nice to go in there to talk about all things death with the family and get them comfortable 
talking about it, the more comfortable they are talking about it, then the better they can be um, as a support person for their loved one that is dying. So I like to, as a death midwife, be able to go in and um, just talk with the family and see what their thoughts are on death, what their concerns are, and, of course, find out what the wishes of the dying are and how we can make that happen for them. A lot of it is spent educating the family on um, the the logistics. You know, sometimes we assist with the funeral home plans or maybe we might be helping them with a family-directed home funeral. But a big part also is is how they can keep their loved ones at home and die at home. So we make them comfortable with the dying process, as comfortable as we can until they experience it. And and I do that personally by educating the family um, about what the dying process is, the stages of dying, and what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like, what you can do to um, ease the comfort for your loved one. A lot of times if we're doing this service, um, hospice is already involved, and hospice is a wonderful service, and I see death midwifery as, like I said before, an extension of hospice because we get so much more ingrained with the families and doing that education and being there at the spur-of-the-moment phone call for my loved ones making this sound, What do I? what's happening? So I can help the families be more comfortable with the death process. And sometimes some family members just decide they can't do it, and that's okay. That's the time to find out when we're all in there talking about death and making these plans and and what tasks are going to need done and who can uh, agree to do what. Sometimes people just can't do this process, and they need to feel empowered and comfortable to um, step up and say, I just can't do that. And that's something that the death midwife does. I see us as a calm in the storm. Um, We can come in and keep those lines of communication open. We can explain to families, you know, how to talk to the dying. That's uh, one thing a lot of people don't know what to do and don't know what to say. So we give them ways to communicate with their loved one. We talk with them about um, letting them know that they're not alone. The hearing is the last to go on someone So when they die. So we um, talk a lot about that on how they can, to their loved ones, they can play music, they can um, read poetry, read the Bible, do whatever they would like to do. Um, we teach them to create a nice, sacred, and safe, place uh, for their loved one to uh, um, pass away. And um, we also talk to them about how important it is that they um, help their loved one along in this process. Perhaps it's asking for forgiveness or giving forgiveness or thanking them for something. I know I it was very important to me when my mom died that I told her how much I appreciated her, how much she had done to help me and my children. I knew I needed to say that to her one last time before she died. So there's always something like that that you can help facilitate families to be 
empowered that they can do that. I know I helped one family who that, that was dying that the dad, Dan, to even go up to the hospital bed and, and touch their, his son who was dying. And it took me several days, but I got him to get up to that bed and hold his son's hand and, and be a very big part of um, his son's um, beautiful passing. I teach them to be comfortable in offering their sentiments of love to their loved one. Um, and if they can't say the words, I can teach them other ways. Perhaps it's rubbing lotion on their hands and feet or doing their hair or painting their fingernails or things like that. So, you know, just a lot of keeping families comfortable and teaching them that this is a beautiful process and, and they, if they can be involved, that it helps their loved one have a, a good death and it also helps them so much emotionally if they can be a part of it. I hope that answers your question on what I talked about at that class because I really honestly don't remember what I talked about at that class. <laughs> but I do remember because it was for me so um, such a great chunk of information to learn things. And as you mentioned right now, uh, brushing somebody's hair, I remember one part of the of the talk where you were saying that uh, the person who was passing didn't like music and you didn't know and you were playing music for this person and that after you stopped playing the music, they passed peacefully. Do you remember that yeah. anecdote? Yes. And I mean, uh, I've had that happen several times. I, you know, I was singing to, I got called in last minute at one time, a family from Illinois had a loved one dying in a nursing home up here. And they didn't want him alone until they could get here. And they said, can you get over there really quickly? So, sure. So I went over there, and I knew absolutely nothing about this gentleman except his name. I mean, I'd never met the family or anything. And so I went in, and I I like to sing. So I was singing to him, and he was just kind of giving me these little squints, you know, and everything. So I'm like, okay, well, he doesn't like that song, you know. And, and so I quit singing. But uh, so you do, I teach the families to look at those little cues like that. If you're doing something that your loved one doesn't really like, then I can, you know, teach you to notice those cues so you don't do that again. And and sometimes it is singing and music, and especially if you have someone that's an elderly person that's lived alone and they're not used to all that noise or commotion around. Sometimes they're the ones that need to be left alone to die. And so we all figure mm -hmm. that out together. I, for one, will be the one that if you brush my hair, will turn around and be like, look, I'm not dying. Leave my hair alone. <laughs> you know? Because you know, how important it is. things you can let people know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And it, it seems so meaningless, you know. Like right now I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is such a way of showing your love. If you rub lotion on my feet, I will be like, oh, thank you. But when you say brushing their hair, I was like, no, don't even come close to my hair because I will not die. I will get up and I will be like, please leave my hair alone. And it's such a honor, such an honest way to honor those people. But if we, if we don't know what they don't like, then we're not helping, <laughs> you know. We're making them more, like, uncomfortable. And well, how important it is that you're... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, and it, exactly. That's one of the things. We're there to make them more comfortable. And sometimes 
making them more comfortable is just being a presence, knowing that they're not alone. Most people don't want to die alone. And so many people are uncomfortable sitting there with someone who's dying. It's really important. And, again, we empower families to, if your loved one is still verbal, to just sit there and listen. If your loved one knows that you're comfortable talking about death, they're going to open up and talk to you. If you've mentioned it, if you've, you know, had these conversations with them, if there's never been any conversation, your dying is more likely, your dying loved one is like more than likely not going to talk to you about what they're experiencing. You know, a lot of people see uh, ancestors who have passed that are coming back for them, and it's beautiful to be able to sit and listen to the stories of the people when they're experiencing that. But if you are not comfortable talking about death, you're probably never going to get that gift from your loved one of being there to share that with them. So, again, another really important reason, in my opinion, to make talking about death as a natural topic in your families. Um, but if we can get people comfortable so that they can be there, you know, and surround uh, the dying or surrounded by their friends and loved ones as we die, you know, what a better way to go. Uh, 90% of people want to die in their home, but the reality is that 60% of people die in hospitals or 10% die in nursing homes, and the other 30%, some die at home, some die in a hospice care or, you know, car accidents or something like that. So very few percentage of people are actually dying in their home, even though that's what they want to do. And the reason I think one of the reasons is is because there's not enough family support that's there that can do this because it's hard work. It is a lot of work to have a loved one at home and to take care of them 24-7. That's one of the big reasons I got involved in death midwifery because I see this as we can train our families, we can train our friends, we can train our communities, we can train our church communities, we can train anybody to learn this type of work so that if your neighbor down the street has a loved one that's at home dying, we can respond as community to come and help there if we're all comfortable about death. It's, it's reclaiming our roots. Back 100 years ago, that's what everybody did. You know, the dying, mm-hmm. everybody died at home and everybody came and brought food and helped clean that body and the body was laid out in honor in the parlor of the house. And I see death midwifery kind of moving back to our to our roots. And that's my goal is to get a lot of people trained so that we can do this as a community. Um, one thing that comes to mind is probably also our fear of seeing our loved one's body going through, like, these dramatic changes while they're dying. Do you think that is a defining factor on why people don't want to do it because they're afraid of what they're going to see? I think it's some of it I think some of it's the afraid of the unknown because no one really knows what what really happens after death and so I think sometimes it's afraid of the unknown and I think sometimes people see things on TV and see how they think a death is going to happen. I really see that families that have been watching someone, for instance, that has a terminal illness 
and they are, you know, slowly whittling away, you know, and you notice big changes in their body and, and things. I, from what I see the majority of the time, is the families don't even notice that because they're with them every day. It's, you know, a person that only stops in once a week or whatever or every few days, those people might be a little bit shocked because they see the change happening. But someone who's that close to the situation a lot of times doesn't see the change happening. A lot of times the family don't see that the change is happening until the person turns into the active stage of dying, the one to three days before death when, you know, maybe some uh, breathing changes and definitely some difference in the eating patterns and the fluid intake. And that's the things that I think that get the hardest for families is when their loved ones quit eating and their loved ones quit drinking. And that's when the services of a death midwife can come in especially um, handy because we can see that this is coming and this is happening and we can start educating and preparing on that for that. And that just makes it so much easier. But there certainly are people that when it comes to that stage, um, sometimes they just can't handle that and that's when they transfer them to a hospital or a nursing home or a hospice home or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so then we have the person and the person dies. And you talk about holding a funeral at home. And I want to ask you all about that. But before we go into that, we have an announcement that I was supposed to share earlier and I forgot. So, uh, Sharon, if you come with us, it's a couple of minutes announcement. And I'm just going to play it here real quickly. And we'll be right back with more on Dead Midwifery with Sharon Stewart. Something witchy this way comes. Toronto's first ever witch fest north is casting a spell upon you. Prepare to be enchanted. Good evening. My name is Rosemary Stellick multidimensional artist of sound and vision, and broom crew member and witch, preparing you for Witch Fest North, a festival of witches, Wiccans, wise women, and magical folk in the arts, flying out of the broom closet and into Toronto from October 5th to the 31st. Its purpose? to celebrate the repeal of Section 365 of the Criminal Code of Canada, which made it illegal to be a practicing witch. This inaugural GTA Citywide Festival is a witch's walking tour, creating an open coven for all kinds, featuring storytellers, craftspeople, artists, musicians, and spiritual warriors. Witchfest North founder, artist, and program director Monica Badursky states that Witchfest North was dreamed into existence to bring together witches, Wiccans, pagan practitioners, women in the arts, and to share with a wider Toronto audience. We embody every walk of life. We do not discuss diversity and inclusivity. We embody these attributes. Witchfest North are events that are happening all over the 
city, open to all ages, to witches and Wiccans equally, magical folk, etc. So raise your broom. This will be a first-time citywide festival opening an entire month's worth of events celebrating pride in the witchy arts. For more information, come to www.witchfestnorth.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Witchfestnorth.com See you there. Decía la luna, no llores por mí, volveré mañana a recorrer los campos. A una mariposa posada en mi jardín, llorando al ver en sus alas rayos plateados. Volví tus lágrimas, pequeña mariposa. Conmueve tu dolor, ¿qué puedo hacer si solo soy luna viajera de la noche? por ti te encontré reflejándote a mi lado como quisiera que nunca te tuvieras que ir poderte ver alumbrando mi cansancio hermosas acuarelas frágiles del aire tan veras que voy son y no son y ya no soy y mañana no estarán cuando anochezca entonces bajó la luna y se posó en mi jardín con blanca piel detuvo el tiempo en el espacio y vi cuando este astro subió al infinito añil llevándose al ser alado entre sus manos así desde esta vez entendí que sobre el mundo cuando mueren mariposas la luna se la lleva entre sus brazos y guarda luto una vez al mes con negro manto. Y en esas noches no se deja ver. 
listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. And we're back here on Lunatic Mondays, Lunas Lunaticos, the very, very first and only bilingual show for Pagans Tonight Radio Network. I just noticed my microphone wasn't muted, so you probably heard me typing and clicking. I'm sorry. Um, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who is listening to the show live. My dear V with straight all the guests, uh, Morning Glory Strix, and my dear Eric Eldridge, who is not in the chat room but is listening. And thank you, obviously, to Sharon. Sharon, are you back there? I sure am. So um, thank you so much for all the information and all the lovely uh, advices that you're, we're receiving here um, And the song that I played earlier Is the song in Spanish But it also is about bereavement And, and the farewell to a butterfly So I figure it's just fitting for the theme of our show And we're bilingual, so why not? Um, so Sharon, tell us a little bit about So now our loved one is passed And we want to do a home funeral How do we how did the dead midwife help us arrange all that? Okay. Well, um, we by this time have, you know, a pretty close relationship, and um, we hopefully have had that beautiful, gentle passing. And what a deaf midwife will do or can do at that point is, is assist the family or direct the family in, get, first of all, um, getting the body ready for a home funeral, if that's the choice that they have. Obviously, when we get together with families, we give them all sorts of options. You know, they can have the body removed to a funeral home. They can have the body removed to cremation. They can have the body taken for a green burial. Um, They can have a memorial service, whatever it is they'd like. If a family chooses a home funeral, which we're seeing, more families do that because it's kind of an extension of hospice and, again, returning to the roots like what we've already discussed. And after a family has, you know, done days and weeks and sometimes months of care for their loved one, it just doesn't seem natural to them to hand the body off to a funeral director. Death midwives, you know, we don't compete with uh, funeral directors, um, but we do offer, you know, the to educate the family on a home funeral. So what a home funeral does is it puts the family in charge. You know, they get to slow it down and keep it at their own pace, and they get to personalize um, what happens a little bit more. You know, sometimes, you know, that body just gets taken away to the funeral home. It gets embalmed. It's there. You have a wake, and then you have a service, and it's in the ground. You don't get to spend time with that loved one. When we have death midwives and hospice, for instance, in there, we encourage that these expected deaths, that you spend as much time as you want with that loved one. With the home funeral, we suggest you can keep the body in the house on dry ice um, for one to three days. You can, most states go up to five days, but I would suggest one to three days before you move on to that final disposition. So what we work with families there then is, you know, after the death has happened is to get the body prepared to lay it out in honor, um, just like back 100 years ago. 
So we assist the family in directing them on the care and washing of the body immediately after death. Uh, we assist and direct them with uh, getting the body dressed and light out in honor, get the body shrouded. Um, during this time, you know, we are doing ritual, we're doing some sort of ceremony usually, sometimes we're singing, sometimes we're playing music. You know, we've created a sacred space in the room. We've removed all the medical equipment that normally is there at an in-home death, and we um, perform this beautiful rite of passage. Once we get the body uh, laid out, um, in honor, wherever they decide to do that. Sometimes people uh, put, them, uh, put their loved one back in bed. Um, sometimes they just put them in a some sort of a wicker basket or a cardboard cremation box, whatever it is they've decided, you know, in their final wishes that they want to be buried in. And so for a home funeral, it it's very very moving way to honor this rite of passage. You can have your vigil at home after the death. Sometimes people, depending on their beliefs, want to sit vigil with the body 24-7 for three days. So we've worked on um, teaching people how to sit vigil and, you know, be pain, be be a presence and sit vigil for three days. Uh, We also have visitations at home. So, Neighbors, friends, relatives, family, everyone comes in and we have the visitation at home. Uh, Sometimes, um, not sometimes, this always is a very, very healing process. Sometimes people who are a little, you know, weirded out by it because it's not a real popular thing yet, but once they've experienced it, everybody wants it because home funerals have proven to be, because they're such a slower pace, you get to spend time with that loved one that, you know, the healing and emotional healing that comes from a home funeral and caring for your loved one at home is immense. Um, I also see people who do this home, do the home funerals that their grief period is so much shorter. Um, Sometimes when we have this uh, home funeral, you know, you can have everything at home, uh, whatever it is you want to do. We've had so much like a church service there or just had a very free-flowing where people just came and went into the bedroom and had their personal time with, you know, their friend or relative or loved one, whatever it may be. And then um, we are there to assist. Obviously, there's different paperwork that needs to be done if you're doing this at home and acting as your own funeral director. Not all states you can do that. We are fortunate in Wisconsin where I'm at that we can act as our own funeral directors, but every state has different laws. So before you would decide to do a home funeral, you should check the laws to your state to see if you need to involve a funeral director or not. A lot of times people that I've um, assisted, families that I've assisted, you know, we do everything at home, but then they turn the body over to a funeral home to take it for cremation or green burial or perhaps even a burial, depending on what the um, wishes were. Um, A lot of people don't realize that you don't have to be embalmed. So uh, uh, most of the time when I'm working with families like this, there's no embalming. Um, 
So you can have the body transported. Again, it varies by fortunate. We can transport with the proper paperwork. We can transport our loved one to the cemetery for final disposition, or we can transport them to the crematorium or to the funeral home. Sometimes I've helped families where we've done this all at home, and then we've gone to the crematorium and had um, in the family room of a crematorium, we've had a lot of personal time where we have a personal family ritual. Um, sometimes at home or a lot of times in the crematorium, we have a cardboard cremation box and we color on it and write prayers and wishes and hopes and dreams. And it's a wonderful healing process for kids and to show kids that death is a natural part of the cycle of life. And so kids are there coloring on the box and, and things like that. So it's just so, so, so much more personalized and the pace slowed down. And it's a wonderful way to, you know, honor um, and respect that loved one. Doing a home funeral usually is um, a little bit cheaper than having a, a funeral at a funeral home. So sometimes, you know, financial need of the family makes it a reason why they might also look at a home funeral. Um, a lot of times I see people going either from a home funeral to cremation or to then to a green burial, which um, probably get into that's a whole other topic, but a green burial basically where you're returned naturally to the earth, whether you're in a biodegradable casket, a cardboard box, a wicker basket, a sheet, a shroud, and you're just naturally returned to the earth. Um, so the deaf midwife, you know, hopefully ahead of time, has worked with the dying to find out what their wishes are. And we at work as a group, as the family-directed home funeral, assisting that family, making sure that all of those wishes are fulfilled and that the family has all the time that they want and need and, and get to say goodbye to their loved one in a beautiful, beautiful tradition. It sounds so uh, calming and beautiful when you're talking about people getting together and saying goodbye and singing and doing uh, perhaps some kind of ritual and stuff like that. Because, again, we are so disconnected. You know, I remember when when my uh, stepson died, uh, it, it all feels so distant, you know. You, you don't see him, but until you see him on the casket, and it's like... <gasps> I saw you alive yesterday and now you're in a casket. And it's like a, a great emotional and psychological disconnection, I guess, that if we go back to what is natural or what are, the way that we used to do it, like you say, 100 years ago, it's kind of like a very natural process. As you've been talking to us throughout the whole show, Is this is the end. And it has to be a celebration as such. Uh, it sounds beautiful and poetic. Thank you for sharing that with us. And speaking of uh, sharing comments, I have Eric Eldridge here on uh, on the Facebook chat room, and he says, and I quote, I found Sharon's material invaluable. It parallels the work so masterfully. It's been part of uh, many of my family members and those who I helped during the first wave of the age of AIDS. So I just wanted to let you know, Sharon, that uh, Eldridge is listening, and so is our friend B, our guest. I know uh, Morning Glory was listening earlier, and so was Reverend Aisha. So to everyone who's listened uh, before or are listening still or will listen on the uh, recorded uh, podcast, 
thank you so much uh, for listening, for being here, for your comments, for your questions. Sharon, where can we find you, being as we might need your services sometimes? Or if you are teaching, are there any future plans, uh, presentations, workshops? Sure. You gave out our website and our Facebook page earlier. Those are really fast ways to be able to get a hold of me. You know, and I guess that's one thing I would mention is the death midwife doesn't need to be in your backyard to help you with this. I can't tell you how many people I help via whatever the case may be, the telephone. Um, I help people all over the United States to get through this process. So um, you can reach me. Those two ways are usually the fastest. The other, uh, October 24th, I'm going to be on Circle Talk. Um, again, talking about death midwifery. And I am having a couple classes coming up on um, October 21st. I'm doing an advanced death midwife skills class. This is for people who have already attended my part one class. Um, and so I'm looking forward to doing that on October 21st. And that class is nearly full already. And then on November 18th and 19th, I'll do a weekend intensive um, teaching um, death midwife skills. Uh, um, and that both of those classes will be um, held in Brooklyn, Wisconsin. And you can get information about those on our Facebook page or on our website. And just to remind everyone, the website is www.spiritnull.com. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, yeah, Spirit Knoll is the name of my husband and I have 10 and a half acres, uh, a hidden treasure in the woods, and we teach um, I do death midwife training here, and, and my husband does Reiki training here. And, and uh, so we just have this little piece of heaven back here in the woods. But I have, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I guess how you look at it, I used to hold my classes here, but I've outgrown the size of our house. So I now rent a place in Brooklyn to have our, my classes because of my class sizes have gotten too large because there is so much interest in this. Well, yes, indeed. I think uh, um, mostly pagans, I would like to think, want to go back to the natural ways, but also, um, you know, people in general. I mean, you know, you don't have to be of a specific uh, spiritual background to want to go back to to nature. One of the things that really got me in awe was when you mentioned that people don't have to be involved in bomb. and. Involved. That is, that is such a thing, you know, because most of us, as you say, you know, we get our education from TV and it can be anything more wrong than that. And you always believe that everyone needs to be embalmed. And then, like, what's for what? <laughs> what's the point? Well, you exactly. Know. But also, you know, you need to understand with that that there's no place in the United States that you need to be embalmed. But. If you are going to, for instance, have your body taken to a funeral home and have a public viewing, it's going to be a regulation of the uh, funeral home that if you're going to be publicly viewed that you're going to be involved. So that always is kind of a problem that you need to work through. Now, what I'm seeing up here in Wisconsin, we just had a green burial less than a month ago and, and a wonderful funeral home over by Milwaukee and I've never heard of a funeral home doing this, and I was so impressed, so I hope it's a uh, sign of the times changing. But this funeral home in 
near Milwaukee actually let this family bring their loved one to the funeral home. He kept her on dry ice for three days at the funeral home and allowed friends and family to come and sit vigil 24-7 for three days in his funeral home before he brought that body over for a green burial. So wow. in that case, since there was no public viewing, she the, the um, loved one didn't need to get embalmed. But if there would have been a public viewing, most likely you would have to be embalmed for that. So that's something to keep mm-hmm. in mind. You need to mm-hmm. educate yourself, you know, on what you, you need to know what you want at end of life so that if you choose to work with a funeral home that you can see, it, you know, what can be done. And as far as like a green burial, there's very few green burial locations, cemeteries, that you can use, but what I'm finding around here is if you're making plans enough, you know, you can go to a a funeral home, or excuse me, a cemetery that I just helped a family just a couple weeks ago, and they just let them in their, you know, traditional cemetery. The only reason they use vaults is so that the ground is even for mowing. So they were nice enough to, at least the lady, you know, wanted to be buried there, but they aren't a green burial cemetery so they did let her body go return right to the earth but they still put the vault in upside down for the grooming of the grass but they did allow that planning that's something I can't stress enough if you want something different than the everyday funeral that people do now you need to get this down on paper so that your wishes can be known and those plans can be made yes Thank you for clarifying that. And if you don't mind repeating, uh, I know you said it at the beginning of the show, the six documents that we must have in life. Uh, I remember you talk about a a living will and a will, and I forgot the other four, of course. The durable power of attorney and the durable power of attorney for finances and a HIPAA form. Okay. Thank you so much, Sharon. Um, really invaluable information. Thank you for clarifying so many of our questions. And just one more time, repeat when you're going to be back on uh, on Pagans and Radio Network. I know you're going to be on Circle Talk with Selena, yes? Yes, uh, October 24th. October 24th, if you miss today, or I'm sure Selena will have different questions or uh, it will be a different conversation, maybe new information, of course. Uh, it will be our pleasure to listen to you then, as it has been to have you today. And without further ado, we're going to go very quickly, uh, Sharon, before you say goodbye. I'm just going to put you on mute for a second. Uh, we're going to go very quickly into our reading for the week. Uh, this is a reading that we do every week. Obviously, every other week is in Spanish, but today the show is in English. So here we go. Reading for the week of October 2nd for 2017 for Lunatic Mondays, courtesy of Tarot by Laura Gonzalez. As a tendency, we have the Knight of Pentacles. For this week, we have the energies of the Knight of Pentacles. This indicates movement. However, it might be perceived as if we, are, we have reached a point of stagnation. What happens is that this knight, as different as his counterpart, really pays attention to details and is, much, uh, is a much grounded strategist. Let these energies guide you into making decisions that are long-term and realistic, especially if the matter is related to work and finances. What to do? Three of Wands. Take advantage of your creativity and passion. 
these are great qualities to tap into while you're planning how to manifest whatever enterprise your Knight of Pentacles is leading you into. The person in this card is gazing into the open land as if they were planning how to create something great, something that has to be permanent, successful, successful, and satisfactory. What not to do, Ace of Cups. Don't let your emotions get on the way. This is a process that will take time and planning. And as much as you want to give life to this new enterprise, it is a matter of patience. Use your enthusiasm and intuition to help the strategy be developed, not to be rushed rush, or to be overly emotional. These are distractions that might get on the way and don't really serve you at this moment. Let your waters, your emotions, be calm and contained. Best of fortune to you all. I utilize the Rider Whitesmith Tarot, and you can find me on www.brujalauragonzalez.com. That is Bruja, V as in boy, R-U-J-A, lauragonzalez.com. So that's the reading for the week. Sharon, that's the reading for the week. <laughs> it looks like like big big plans for people, but kind of like in a slow pace, you know, kind of like the season, as the season goes, you know, fall, things are getting a little slower, so let's uh, be patient there. Mm. Sharon, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. I survived. I was super nervous, but I survived. <laughs> you did a you wonderful job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I every show I get nervous, but when I get people from Circle, obviously I get more nervous. I don't know. Don't ask me why. Uh, <laughs> I get starstruck. I guess is I want to make you all proud. Uh, but thank you for being in our show. And now I will stop saying silly things and let you say goodbye to your audience tonight. Well, I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. I sure hope you were able to learn something and I hope you can feel my passion for working with all things end of life. Please know that I'm always there. If you have questions or concerns or any needs, I would love to reach out and help you. And the only other thing I can say is talking about death. Start talking and get your paperwork done. Blessed be. Blessed be. Thank you so much for being on the show, Sharon. Thank you for everyone that was here. Thank you, Rosemary Nostelic, for that information that you send us via message. Don't forget to uh, get your information also for Witch, First, Witch Fest North. And um, like always, never forget that you are loved. We're going to say goodbye tonight precisely with Rosemary Nostelic and this chant for Ardia. You are loved. Good night. Good night.
You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. 